Welcome to Season 5 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise in facilitating leadership education, training, and development. Interested in keeping up with the latest conversations across the leadership discipline? Want to add more to your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design without changing your routine? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Hello and welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I am Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University, and we are both excited for today's episode of the podcast. This season, we're looking at leadership from a global perspective. Over the first two years of our podcast, we've talked about leadership both in the U.S. and outside. This time, we're featuring leadership educators in Europe, Africa, Japan, Australia, and other places. Today, we are joined by Dr. Mickey Nari Higano. Welcome to the show, Mickey. The pleasure is all mine. Mickey, I'm so glad that we had an opportunity to meet. You're one of the, uh, gosh, that was only my third ILA Global Conference uh, at the time, and I think it was my, gosh, maybe my second year here at the University of Southern Maine. Still, uh, I was a young assistant professor I and mean, the conference was in Montreal, Canada. And you were a participant in a pre-conference workshop that I was co-facilitating with Tony Andonoro, who we've had on the podcast, and then Matt Salchik, uh, which hopefully I'll get him on someday soon. Um, it was called Leadership in the Classroom, Developing a Leadership Curriculum. And you stopped me at the end to talk at the end of the workshop. And you shared with me that you were part of a leadership educators conference in Japan and that you wanted to know if I had any interest in being part of the conference the following year. And I was so humbled both because I was so young in my career and I I had never been to Japan before. I had never been to to, to that side of the world. And so fast forward uh, to July of 2014, I not only had a chance to present at the conference, but I also had some time to spend with you and your colleagues when you were still at at Riccio University. And I want to say that you and your colleagues were some of the best hosts I have ever, ever had. Your your hospitality was amazing. The food I got to try was outstanding. And at dinner one evening, I got one of the best compliments I've ever received. You said to me, you said, compared to other Americans that I've met, you you said um, you were impressed with my ability to use chopsticks. <laughs> and um, I explained that this came from my family. Uh, I have a Jewish upbringing, which includes an affinity for Eastern Asian foods, uh, both because early Jewish immigrants settled in an area of Manhattan that is now Chinatown, and because Chinese and Japanese restaurants are some of the only restaurants that are open on Christmas and Easter in the U.S. <laughs> so, um, and lastly, uh, I'll never forget our uh, our group trip to karaoke after the last session uh, and the dinner at the conference. Uh, I have some great pictures and some great memories from that night as well. And I was so glad that, that y'all took me up on my uh, suggestion that we go do karaoke. Um, and I, I just, 
I, I love that 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 trip. I'm so fond of it, and and I love being able to see you at conferences. We got to go to a Chicago Cubs game uh, with again with Tony at the 2018 ALE conference, and uh, we got to go uh, to some breweries together when we were in Ottawa at the 2019 uh, ILA conference. So just value our friendship, and 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 thank you for you know for reaching out to me that that time. And so, uh, but for our listeners uh, of the podcast that don't know you as well as I do, can you tell us? a little bit about yourself and how did you end up becoming a leadership educator in Japan? Okay, it's a long story because it's um, more than 15 years. So uh, around 2005, until then I was just an economist and hired as an economist by a new college of business at Rikyo. But College of Business also needed something new, some program new. So I was asked to um, teach leadership along with economics. And what, what if I failed? <laughs> I asked my dean, but the dean didn't care. If it fails, you go back to economics. Don't worry. <laughs> so I lightheartedly accepted. Once I began, I was um, year by year, <laughs> I mean, uh, I was absorbed. I mean, just so fascinating every year. So now, 15 years later, I'm 100% leadership educator, 0% economist. So how, how did it happen? Uh, basically, students love it, the way we teach leadership. Oh, before that, I should begin. Um, well, it was uh, 2005, six. At that time, nobody, nobody appreciates leadership without authority in Japan. Just, just an American consulting companies take it for granted, but other companies, including European, Japanese, nobody sees it, sees that importance. So it was um, way too early to start. So it's just like, I, I like this analogy, I mean, metaphor, jumping into, jumping behind the enemy line. I mean, by enemy, I mean people, people don't understand the meaning and significance of leadership without authority. So, so I, together with my, a few colleagues, jumped behind the enemy line, once on, once on ground, easily surrounded, outnumbered and cut off until the main force breaks breakthrough breaks through the front line to rescue us so there there was a risk that i will be surrounded and captured or killed at that time but luckily, luckily uh, 2000 the, the first six seven eight had four years that was a uh, had battle. I mean, we uh, clutched the ground and stayed, stayed low. But fourth year, main, a part of main force came from an unexpected direction. One was active learning movement. Until then, until then, um, Japanese people, Japanese students are supposed to sit down and quietly listen to professors. Not active at all, but around two, 2010, 
some professors started a movement college classrooms should not be like this and and it's not start active learning movement that fit that exactly fitted our program the movement itself was not about leadership but to me it was a rescue one of the rescue forces they found us they found found us i mean they regarded us regarded as a very pioneering movement in itself so so they um talk talk highly of our program so my program suddenly became famous and the second force was from business business people finally uh, started to understand meaning and significance of leadership without authority that was around 2010. so i was rescued paratur was a relief now i'm on not a paratrooper, but um, regular force with full equipment. And uh, 2006 to uh, the past 10 years, 10 years until 2016, there was only one school, Rick University, who has undergraduate academic leadership program. But I, um, I made, up my, made up my mind together with my colleagues. Let's expand this leadership program all over the nation. So I moved to Waseda University and at the same time started to advise other potential universities which are interested in, potentially interested in leadership program. Now they do that. Now there are 20 areas who have leadership program. Amazing. So long story short, this is uh, my, my past 15 years. That's a time, incredible time well spent. I also like the paratrooper metaphor. It's kind of, it, it reminds me of the, you know, uh, ask for forgiveness later, but on a, on a higher level than I think some people, like some people will go to their boss, like do the work and then go to their boss. And you're like, no, I'm going to parachute behind any a paratroop parachute behind enemy lines and then get it started from the back. And it worked in your favor if so many uh, institutions are starting to develop undergraduate uh, leadership programs. What a great metaphor about uh, building leadership programs across the country. You know, Dan had mentioned that that was some of the work that you did in suggesting guests. And, and so can you share a little bit about kind of once once the program started to grow in, in popularity, kind of how did how did you feel like? I mean, was it meaningful? Do you still feel like there's more work to do when you realized that this was something important and that you had a hand in it um, in really growing it from the ground up? Um, kind of what was that feeling like for you? For me? Well, um. First of all, students loved it because it uh, includes active learning. They can participate in the, in the class. And second of all, if you, if you learn leadership, it is useful outside classroom in, in your relationship with friends, family, or workplace everywhere. So at first, we, uh, we aim to our purpose was to uh, make students prepare for the future recruitment, I mean, uh, job hunting. But the effect of leadership education comes much earlier 
even while they're on campus. Students change rapidly before and after education. So that's, I was um, fascinated by that. Mickey, I remember when I was visiting your campus, you were sharing with me, and I think we watched a video about a technique that you were using at Wikio to engage students in class discussion. And you were mentioning just before about how leadership without authority was a challenge for students in the programs because that was how they were brought up to understand leadership. And so I believe, and please, please correct me. I, I believe that the there was some challenges that you were facing in some of the leadership classes where you would put students into small groups to work together or to have discussion and they wouldn't talk to each other. And so you started to implement some ideas of giving them note cards to write their ideas on and pass it to their, to their partners or other types of things. Could, could you talk about a little bit of, of how that was implemented and what a difference it made in, in teaching leadership in that program? At a very early stage, students are not uh, accustomed to discuss openly. So uh, as a form of a brainstorming, they, they write, write down what they thought on a post-it. And then without neglecting anything, we uh, put those together and sort it. It's a kind of consensus making, but it's, it's very early stage, including uh, using the uh, ice-breaking activities every week. They come to uh, discuss freely. Yes, I know that you mentioned, you know, you had to really start with fundamentals to get students to talk to each other because it was not a common practice in, in the business school, right? They're freshmen, so they're not, not at all accustomed to discussion. No, no class in high school. I mean, there are no, no debate class in high school in Japan at that time. So they just listen to teachers. <laughs> what the country. <laughs> now, now it's changing. Even some high schools started to um, introduce leadership education as, as like us, influenced by college. All of it. That's interesting, and I know that some of the workshops and some of the the talks at that education and leadership conference that you invited me to attend back in 2014 um, were showcased there. So, where where did the yeah. idea? for that conference come from? I, I believe that the year before I was invited, I think you had Susan Kamavez and Gama Perucci attend. And then yeah. later on, I think you had Carrie Priest and some other educators. Where, where did, how did that, uh, how did that conference come, come to be? First of all, 2000, starting from 2008, we started to uh, receive external funding so I can invite several people from overseas. And second, uh, still leadership education is not famous even in our campus. So it's a kind of market, internal market. Famous scholars like you come, comes to Rikyo campus. Oh, wow, Mickey can invite such, such a big guy. So it's- You're too kind, Mickey, you're too kind. <laughs> It's a very effective internal marketing. And also students can be confident that what they are doing daily is not so peculiar to Rikyo. 
it's globally acceptable. That feeling is not important. Do you remember uh, those several students who helped you were so happy? So they looked so happy, right? Yes. Yeah, they and we, we, I'm still uh, Facebook friends and LinkedIn connections with many of them. And so we've, we've stayed in touch a little bit. But they were so helpful. They translated things for me. They helped me order from the menus when we went out to for meals. They they were amazing. Not only, yeah, I, I probably left that out. Not only were you and your colleagues that were all their faculty such great hosts, but the students were amazing. They were so helpful, so engaged, and and just just fantastic. They are very proud to be a part of the program. Great that you can create those opportunities for them. I mean, not just prepare them to lead or be leaders in their in Japan, but you're also connecting them to you know worlds that they may not have ever thought was even an option. Which I think is is what we're all trying to do as educators, knowing how connected our world is and how you have colleagues from Japan and Australia and other countries. You know, kind of now with Zoom, you know, there's there's no limit to the conversations you have, and it's a beautiful thing that you can start to integrate that. Um, in thinking about kind of where research and practice in Tokyo is going and maybe more broadly in Japan, kind of what do you see happening in the next few years, like maybe the next five to 10 years, kind of where, where are things headed in that space? Okay. Uh, first of all, I was going to do this this year, but uh, COVID is still here. So maybe next year I'll take my students to a case competition at ILA. That's the first step. Second would be maybe maybe some conference in Tokyo again, or I'm thinking about East Asia is uh, my next paratrooping target. <laughs> Not sure. Oh, that's awesome. Viet Vietnam, I don't know. Rapidly growing, but no, probably no initial education. Singapore is a little different, probably. There are business schools. So, Mickey, in the I know in the last few years, you you know you since moved from uh, Rikio to to Waseda University. Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the maybe some of the differences you've experienced between the approach to leadership development at Rikio versus Waseda? The students. What's what's what are some of the differences? Good. I was I was waiting for that question. <laughs> um, was it a, some of that or two thirds of what the students think that they will they will lose if they ask for help? <laughs> do you understand? They're they think they are supposed to do everything by himself herself. But but it, it's it's detrimental to leadership because leaders often ask for help right so for the first three four years i um i tried to change that preoccupation leaders can ask for help uh, in a sense they are too proud to ask for help it's a tough conversation to have that balance between like vulnerability and competence and confidence. It's you got to come across as knowing everything, but but you're human and you can't know. And and it's 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 such a tough thing to teach. Like my students, I teach a communicating leadership. It's a thousand level class. It's open to any student. So I I it's amazing because I talk to 
political science students, public relations students, I get to see a, a variety. And, you know, we start off with, you know, kind of where are you as a leader and, you know, tell me about yourself. And there's so many that, that don't think that they can be a leader and have this almost heroic leadership ideal in mind. And their mouth like drops to the ground when I start talking about, no, you can make mistakes. Let me, let me tell you about this mistake that I made, but here's how you couch it in, you know, competence and confidence. Like there's the, how you talk about it matters. I mean, it's nice to hear that students there are having the same problem here. So if you have any tips, you know, you can always share how you help navigate that. Cause I, I feel like that's like an endless challenge that we'll have. Right, Dan, do you feel that way? Yeah. 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 Without a doubt. So I think we asked you some great questions, Mickey. Is there anything else that maybe we didn't ask that you want to share with our audience today? Hmm. Well, e-learning. I mean, we um, make so much use of uh, TAs and, and, and we spend so much time to raise TAs, trained, and it works. works very much, very well. Uh, what should I say? Um, when I... You know, uh, it, do you use negative feedback as an English? I mean, uh, if you do it not that way, but this way, you you are better off. Constructive feedback, yes, constructive feedback should come from peer, not from teacher. That's more effective. So, so to make TA say what I want to say. <laughs> I should train TAs to be short. And TA, TA himself or herself will be a good leader to learn that. So uh, right now, I have a very systematic way of um, raising TAs. So TA earn credits by taking courses at the same time, earn money by being a classroom. So. And uh, does this happen in your country, right? TAs? Yeah, we yeah we have teaching assistants and and graduate assistants. Uh, we're, we're even piloting a uh, a pedagogy program in my PhD program right now, where we have uh, what we're calling teaching interns, mm -hmm. where they're somewhere in between a teaching assistant <laughs> and uh, and a graduate assistant. Uh, but I, I I've had a similar experience where particularly in the undergraduate classes um, where the students feel more comfortable approaching the graduate assistant than they do approaching the faculty. Maybe they think that they're just more like them or, or whatever. Um, but I agree with you that we need to, that maybe one of the skills that we haven't spent time with uh, building in these graduate and teaching assistants is the art of giving feedback and receiving. Mm -hmm. Well, Receiving feedback, I think they, uh, they 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 get some practice, but but giving feedback to the students, I think that that's there's some opportunity there for sure. One thing I should add, um, while I, when I was in Rikyo, all classes are, I mean, homogeneous in that um, everybody is a freshman. In other classes, everybody is a sophomore, something like that. But in in Waseta, all mixed up. So in one classroom, there are fishmen, sophomore, junior, senior. And in that classroom, even freshmen can be a TA. Do you believe that? Wow, a freshman as a teaching assistant? That's interesting. Yeah. 
spring course. This t t this TA took spring course, and the autumn course is repetitive. So new students come in, and they are, this freshman is half a year ahead. So he he, he or she she can be a TA. At first, for, um, senior junior students are. <clears throat> Why do I have to talk by freshman kids? <laughs> but they're wrong. <laughs> everyone, every everyone can and should be a MC. So not not teaching, but MC, and teachers raise their hands when necessary. So proceedings are by so young young freshmen, but contents are uh, structured by teachers and those students. That's a lovely approach in that. So I, I took a teaching and certificate in higher education class and the instructor said, I should only speak about 25% of the time. The rest of the time it's y'all. And that's the, that's exactly what you're saying. So you kind of set the tone and then they carry the conversation, which is, which is interesting. Exactly. I, I do this because, you know, when you graduate the college, even after that, um, Studying something, you can, you need a buddy or some group of the same interest. That you need some MC somewhere. I mean, some way. So in that case, age is not in, age does not matter, right? And some, only sometimes you can hire a temporary teacher or something. So for the lifelong learning, this this experience works. That's a, that's I believe. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think that's that's a great program, and I think that that might be a, a, a unique approach to include students in their first year as freshmen. And and I, I definitely uh, have not seen that model here in, in in the states. All right. Well, well, Mickey, thank you so much for for joining us on the on the podcast. Uh, we're so grateful for your time and and your leadership. And uh, I wish you definitely the the best of luck and and all of uh, the your pursuits as as a leadership educator and your spaces. So thank you so much. I enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. Remember, you can download all our episodes on all available podcast platforms. And when you go, please make sure you rate us five stars, as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. That's right, Lauren. We also invite you to interact with us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod. That's L E A D E D U C A T O R P O D. And on LinkedIn by searching for the Leadership Educator Podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn by name. And on Twitter, I'm at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M R S L A U R J B. That's Miss Laura J B. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And a wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matthew White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies now at the University of South Carolina. You can check him out at www.mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our listeners.
During the season, you will hear episodes featuring International Leadership Association members working globally to drive leadership education. Visit ilaglobalnetwork.org slash podcast for more information and to join the association. And finally, this podcast would not be possible without our chief partner, the Association of Leadership Educators. Please check out the ALE and all it has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. We hope you will listen to our next episode wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.